I moved here in November 2008 and uh, lived by myself until uh, Lindsay and I were married in June 2009. And we lived in this, this townhouse, and um, we both grew up in rural areas. And so we, we were used to not being around, you know, neighbors and, and stuff like that. And so it was a unique experience to, to hear and to smell whatever your neighbor was doing. And, and so I, anyway, I, I dealt with it. And then we got married in June. And by August, Lindsay said, don't you think we need a move? And so we, we decided to. And, and we were looking around at houses. And we found two that we really liked. Um, and, and we may have went overboard on on how far away we went, and some of you have been to my house as amen, and some of you who've lost, who got lost going to my house and have still never been to my house would say amen too, but we, we what set our home that we're in now apart from the, the one that we looked at is, is right above the garage was a finished room, and, and so when I saw it, there were only two words that came into my head, man cave. And so I said, this, this, this is good. God has, has placed us here for a reason, for such a time. And so it was, it was beautiful. And at its peak, it, it, it was flawless. You, I had three televisions. I had three televisions, two hooked to antennas, one to a gaming console. So theoretically and ideally, you had two different games going and an Xbox game going at the same time while sitting in the futon or the gamer chair. And there was open space, and when the youth came over, we got to hang out. And the man cave was wonderful. It really was. And then uh, September 14, 2011, we, we welcomed our son into the world, and we said goodbye to the man cave. <laughs> it, was, it was gone. Uh, if you go up there now, it's just, it's just a shell of what it once was. The, the dust has covered up the, the TVs, and, and, and the futon, we moved it into my office just so that it would actually get used. And now it's like the land of misfit toys. All the things that my son has outgrown. There, there are car seats, there are baby toys, there are clothes, there are things I don't even know he ever used. Just sitting up there, taking up the space that was once so sacred and once was so good. And, I miss, I miss the man cave. And it just looks and say, you know, this isn't exactly the way it was supposed to be. In much more serious sense, when Jesus comes back to the temple, he looks and he, he sees what's going on. And he says, you know, this isn't the way it was supposed to be. This isn't being used for what it was supposed to be used for. We're going to be in Mark 11. <clears throat> it's not going to be on the screen, so I invite you to, to turn with us. Mark chapter 11. And also, if you want to put a finger in Jeremiah 7, we'll be there uh, a bit later. <coughs> Jesus has come into the city. The, the triumphal entry has happened. He has gone back to Bethany. And then he comes back to the temple. He gets to the temple and he looks around to see everything that's going on. And we see what happens. Starting in verse 15. It says, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be, a call, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers." 
Now, there have been a lot of people who, who've preached from this text, and they've talked about, and I think rightfully so, the, the appropriate and inappropriate uses for a church building and, and things like that. But in just getting that, we, we just get surface level, and we don't really understand what's truly happening here. This is, this is Passover. This is the holiest of Jewish holidays. It's celebrating the Israelites being free from Egypt as, as death passed over them so that their firstborn did not die. This is what they're celebrating. So Jews from all over would come to Jerusalem. But not only Jews, Gentiles would come. We meet one of these Gentiles in Acts, the Ethiopian eunuch, who is on his way to Jerusalem reading Scripture when Philip gets the meeting. These are the type of people who would come. Now, if you were a Jew, you got to come and you actually you got to go into the, the temple, and you got to pray there. But Jesus comes, and he's looking at the temple courts. And if you were a Gentile and you came, you weren't allowed in where the Jews were. And so as far as you could go is this court. And today, theologians call it the court of the Gentiles. It most certainly wasn't called it back then, but, but that's where it was. And so these people, like the Ethiopian eunuch, have come from miles and miles and miles, and they get down and they, they start praying. But they're praying in between the hot dog, or the, not the hot dog, definitely not the hot dog, the hamburger vendor and the, the sandal seller. And if you've ever watched Aladdin, or if you've ever been to a foreign country, you understand that you don't go to stores. Stores come to you, and it's loud. And people are bartering, and they're saying, I, I'm selling you for this much. I won't take this much. Okay, I'll give you this much. And then you get people who have been there, and they've bought things, and they're, they're carrying it all throughout the, the temple courts, and they have a bag hanging over their shoulder. And these people who are there to pray are praying, and they get whacked in the back of the head by somebody, and tripped over by someone. And Jesus looks and he sees that these people have come to pray and they're not being able to do it because these people have set up these booths. Now the Jews, that's, the Jews that were there, most likely, they would have said, well, it's not the temple. Okay, the temple's where we can go. Right? That's the temple. That, built, that is where, that's the temple. This, this is just the area around the temple. It's, it's not sacred. But Jesus comes and he says what? He says that this, including where he is in the temple courts, that this is a house of prayer for who? All nations. And Jesus is putting into motion what he told the Samaritan woman, that there would be a day that you would not go to the mountaintop or you would not go to Jerusalem, but you could worship in spirit and truth. What Jesus does metaphorically by clearing these tables is what he does physically and spiritually a few days later on the cross. He tears down the wall between Gentile and Jew, and more importantly, he tears down the wall between God and his creation. So that truly the temple could become a house of prayer for everyone. Jesus puts this into motion, and Jesus clears things out. He doesn't ask for them to leave. He makes a precedent by clearing things out and showing the temple is called to operate as it's called to operate. The temple should be what it's supposed to be. Fast forward a couple months later. Jesus has died. He, he has risen. He, he teaches with the disciples, and he ascends. And then on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down. And God begins dwelling inside of those who call on his name. The Holy Spirit enters into people. And God is now living and breathing inside of them. 
Now, if I were to guess, you probably talk a little bit different here than you do out in the world. There's some jokes that you probably don't tell. There's some judgments that you don't make. There are some clothes that you don't wear. There's a little bit of a difference because we, we get in our mind, we say, well, this is a holy place. This is, this is where we need to be at our best. But you see what happens when we accept Christ and when we receive the Holy Spirit, we become where God dwells. And that means that Paul can say in, in 1 Corinthians, after telling the Corinthians that you really ought to not be doing this, he says, do you not know that your body is what? A temple of the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, this idea of the, the temple where you have to go is, becomes the temple where you are. And wherever you go, you, you carry with you God. God res, resided in the tabernacle and in the temple. And now God, through Christ, chooses to reside in us, which makes us the temple. And to add one and one together, that means this, that if Jesus was so zealous for the temple, then it says you have to, the temple needs to be what it's called to be. How much more is he now when he looks at his people and says, you need to be what you are supposed to be? Because you are the temple of God. What is the criticism that Jesus has? He says that, that this is a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. Now, most of us, if we're just looking surface level, we'll just assume that because there's money being transacted, that's what he's alluding to. But we read that he's actually alluding to something that's going, back, going on in Jeremiah chapter 7. God has sent Jeremiah to the temple gates to tell the people gathered, them, uh, gathered there some some difficult news. In verse 3, it says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your in your actions and deal with each other justly if you do not oppress the alien, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave your forefathers forever and ever. But look, you're trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house which bear my name and say, we're safe. Safe to do all these detestable things. This sounds very familiar. Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. You see, what was happening in Israel is that people would go out and live however they wanted to live. They would lie, they would steal, they would cheat on their husbands, they would kill people, and they would live however they wanted to, full of all these, these unholy things. They'd go out and they would follow other gods. And then when trouble came, guess where they went? They went to the temple. And they ran to the temple, and like Quasimodo says, Sanctuary, we're safe. We're safe here, right? This, this is God's temple. God's not going to let his temple go anywhere. We're safe here. And God makes it very clear to them through Jeremiah. Don't expect my protection here if it's just a building to you. 
You don't make this a temple. If you go out and you don't bear my name wherever you go, don't expect when you come back for this to be my temple because you've made it a den of robbers. You've made it something it was never supposed to be. And all of a sudden, Jesus' words in Mark uh, isn't criticizing necessarily or only the, the, the transaction of money, but the fact that this has become a place where people go and they've forgotten the meaning. Instead, it's full of things that steal God's adoration. And the thing is, if it happened then, it can happen now. We are the temple of God. We, we've been given our life, and it's, it's called to be this, this slate that's, that's wholly dedicated to God. This should be all God's, but, I mean, in all reality, we've, we've got that clothing store, uh, that, that one place that keeps calling out to us, you're not thin enough, you're not fit enough, you need to wear this, you need to dress like this to be accepted, and, and that's always calling out our name. And, and then, then there's the office store. This one's big for a lot of you because you know that the more time you spend in here and dedicate to that, no matter what, no matter how many sacrifices you have to make and missing kids' ball games or, or missing time with your family or missing church, you're getting up the ladder. And that's, that's really all that matters. Even that means you have to take a few shortcuts or, or you have to bend a few rules or you have to do something unethical as long as you're progressing. Then, then there's the video game store. Now I know that some of you in here, you, you play video games, so you know what I'm talking about. But, but this is, it's like these guys who, who go out and buy the, these violent video games and, and they shoot these, these aliens or, or people or whatever it is on, on these games and they say, well, I'm not actually killing anyone. We look and, and we, we hate people. We despise them. It, it distracts us. It, it fills us with rage when we think about them. We envy them so much. And Jesus says, well, well, hate is the same thing as murder. And we're saying, well, we're not actually killing anybody, but we find ourselves in there a whole lot. Then there's that store. It's that store that if you have young kids, you walk by really fast. It's, it's the one that you make jokes with if you're with your friends at the mall. But in all honesty, it's the store that when no one's looking, a lot of us go to. It's the one that, that we go to when it's just us and a computer or when our wife or our husband is out of town or when our parents aren't looking. It's the one that we go to when we constantly text and talk to someone who's not our husband and wife that makes us feel good, but because it's not physical, it's not really cheating on them. And there's other stores. You have, you have the candy store. Now we like candy. Everybody likes candy. And maybe in moderation, candy's good. But we all know that if you go to a, into a candy store, especially if you're a kid, you come out with way too much. You end up getting sick. And that's what happens is, is these are the things that we do that, that may not be wrong at the beginning, but they turn out to be bigger and bigger and bigger. And they distract us and, and they consume our time. We can keep going. There's the sporting goods store. 
The fact that we can't turn off a television. The, the fact that we skip everything at church in order to make sure our kids get what they need to on the playing field. There, there's the movie store. The movie store is where we go and we lose ourselves because we don't like the life that we have. We want it to be something else. And, and maybe there's one more store, and it's called the rich people store. And that's where we save up, and that's where we go because we know that poor people can't afford this, and we feel good about ourselves when we go shop there. And all of a sudden, the temple of God looks a little bit more like a mall or a den of robbers. Things that have stolen God's adoration and our devotion to him. But you see, the good news is Jesus was passionate about the temple and he's passionate about us. And Jesus, on that day in Jerusalem, clears the temple out and he's sitting, waiting, and hoping that you'll let him clear all the stuff that's in your life out too. On your handout, there's a, a little square. And, and this is for those of you who are like me. Uh, hopefully you're not like me, but um, in, in a lot of ways. But there's a little square there. And this is for the visual learners. These are for some people that, that you maybe really need to write down and say, you know what? This is taking up my devotion to God. This is what's distracting me. This is what's keeping me from living a life pleasing to God. And so today, I'm going to ask that you do that, not so that you feel bad about how bad you are, but so that you can see how good God is, that he doesn't care what's in there. He can take care of it. Maybe today is just the day that you, you need to sit and you need to pray. That you realize the things that are going on in your life and, and you need to surrender them to God. Today is a little bit different. We're going to have two uh, songs of dedication because I want you to take as much time as you need. If today's a day that you realize that for a very long time your life has been this cluttered mess and that you need, that you need to be cleaned out, and then we're promised in John, 1 John that, that Jesus' blood washes away our sins. And the word that he uses there is in a present tense. And so it's almost like Jesus' blood is, is like a windshield wiper that's constantly wiping away the sins in our life. And that's an offering to you today. And if that's you, we invite you to come forward. But today, no matter what, we invite you to make a decision to not look like that full of things that steal our attention from God, but to devote ourselves to being the temple we are called to be. God loved us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for us, to raise three days later so that God could live with us, so that God could live in us and move in us. And I invite you to allow that to happen. Whenever you're ready, whether that's as soon as I quit speaking or after you fill out your box or quit praying, we invite you to join the worship team and stand.